The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning, Park Church. If you guys want to grab a seat, we have a few quick announcements before we get into Matthew 28. Um, First, when you came in this morning, you may have seen a table with a lot of these sitting on it, a lot of baby bottles. Um, We partner with an organization here in Denver, uh, throughout the whole metro area, in fact, called Alternatives Pregnancy Center. Uh, They come alongside women and men and families um, that have unintended pregnancies and provide services, counseling, um, so they can can keep that child or possibly put that child up for adoption. Um, And they have a number of offices throughout throughout the metro area. So we partner with them. And one way that we do that is each Mother's Day, we pass out all of these baby bottles to you all, and you guys take it home and fill it with lots and lots of money. And then you bring it back on Father's Day, and we take all of that money and give it to alternatives to, to continue to support the mission and the vision that they have um, here in the city. So please, on your way out, uh, grab one of these, fill it, and then bring it back here in, in a handful of weeks on Father's Day. Um, second, if Park Church uh, is your home, uh, you, you're a member here, and, and you're committed and covenanted with us as a family, we ask that you would, you would continue to give of yourselves in three ways. Um, first, find somewhere in the church, if you're not already, to, to serve, to actively serve this body, serve this family for its good, for its, its equipping and building up. Um, second, to give financially to the mission of God um, that he's working through this local church, through Park Church. And then third, engage in the mission of God in the city, uh, in your neighborhoods, with different organizations, institutions. Where, where can you serve? Where can you use your gifts and abilities um, to, to serve Denver in the places that God has placed you? Uh, if Park Church is not your home, thank you for being here. Um, if you haven't gone to introductions before, or maybe this is your first Sunday, uh, we have a quick eight to 10 minute meeting called introductions. It's down that hallway. And then you take a right, you'll see the sign down there. Um, you get to meet someone from staff. We get to know you a little bit. You hear some of the park church story. Um, and then you find out uh, next steps to, to get more involved if you'd like to. So I encourage you to go to that right after this service. Now, if you would grab a Bible and turn to Matthew 28. Good morning. So again, that's Matthew 28, 16 through 20. If you do not have a Bible at home, feel free to take one of the Bibles home with you, either kind of on the pew or in the pocket in front of the pew. Feel free to take that home as a gift from Park Church. So again, that's Matthew 28. 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for coming. Happy Mother's Day. I'm going to take a minute before we get into... uh, into the text, Matthew 28, to talk about Mother's Day. Uh, Mother's Day is a, it can be in a really um, emotionally complicated day. 
Um, It's a day where we want to celebrate the mothers among us, the mothers in our lives, the mothers here, mothers that you're connected to. We want to celebrate them. We want to celebrate who they are and who God's made them to be and the ways that they've beautifully put on display for us the glory of God and the ways that they've laid their lives down for their children. It's a beautiful thing that we want to celebrate. And at the same time, it can be a very emotionally heavy day. It can be an emotionally heavy day for a number of different reasons, a number of different reasons, whether that was unfulfilled longings to be a mother or a loss of a child or a loss of a mother or strained relationships with your mother or for mothers, strained, strained relationships with your children. We understand that it's an emotionally complex day, and even in each of us, there are areas where we feel both things to celebrate and the reality of pain. And that can be hard. It can be hard in a room like this to navigate that. But we actually gather together this morning to worship a Savior who rejoices with those who rejoice and who weeps with those who weep. And he can actually feel the emotional complexity of this room and can shepherd you and meet you in the emotional complexities of what you feel right now. But we, we do want to celebrate mothers. We want to celebrate who they are and who God's made them to be. All the ways that even through pregnancy and through delivery, they are sacrificing, physically sacrificing to give life to another. What a beautiful image of Jesus that is. That the late nights they stay up feeding and helping children, the beautiful ways that they show the servant-hearted love of God, the tenderness of God, the care of God, the leadership that, that God has called them to show to children. It's beautiful to watch. To think about as kids grow up and just the patience that moms show and the ongoing concern and care as their children grow up and begin to exert their own will and the sort of faithful love that a mom would show to a child as that child begins to develop some degree of autonomy through the teenage years as teenagers start living their own life and, and kind of around less and go off to college or leave to start a new family. The mothers have to release that. There's, there's a beauty in the way that mothers show faithful love through these changing and complex seasons. I want to say to the mothers among us, well done. We're thankful for you. God's glory shines in you in very beautiful ways. Uh, Proverbs 31 is this passage that a lot of people misuse. They use Proverbs 31 when we talk about this idea of a Proverbs 31 woman. Like, are you a Proverbs 31 woman? And you read this, this kind of poem in Proverbs 31 with all these things that this woman in Proverbs 31 is doing. I mean, she is like mega all over the place, like doing incredible things. And we lift that up like, be like the Proverbs 31 woman. Hermeneutics lesson, a little kind of exegesis lesson. The way you understand a passage is by understanding what does the author intend in a passage. And what that author intended, it was a guy that wrote a beautiful poem, a beautiful acrostic poem to commend his wife, to celebrate his wife, who she was, who God made her to be in the ways that she was using her life to put on display God's goodness to all of those in her life, neighbors, friends, in the workplace, in the home, and in the marriage. And I want to ask, not this morning, not to guilt women into being a certain type of woman, but where are the Proverbs 31 men and women around us that would notice the glory of God, the beauty of God in the women in our midst, and that we'd be a people that sing over that, who you are, who God made you to be, and that you'd grow and flourish as a woman designed by God to reflect his beauty in this world. Whether you have children or not, God made you, made you he sings over who you are who you are now. And may we be a people like the Proverbs 31 man that notice those things and thoughtfully encourage and commend you for the beautiful ways you put on display God's love. So we're thankful for you. And for those who are hurting, we're thankful for you. I want to stand with you in those pains. Mother's Day can bring all sorts of painful tensions into your heart, and we understand that. And that can be really painful. Today I talked to people that were, somebody that's their first Mother's Day, pregnant after just fighting and longing for pregnancy and talk to somebody else who's lost their mother this year. 
and you feel in a room like this, infertility or a stage of life that you don't want to be in, you're sad that you're in that place, you feel pain. Jesus weeps with you. He cares for you. He loves you. And we gather to celebrate a Savior who actually sees the brokenness that you feel. And He's actually laid down His life. He came into this world to redeem that brokenness, that pain. That He can weep with you in that place, but He can also continue to give you joy and hope in Him. And He didn't just come to redeem. He's actually coming again to restore everything. To wipe away every tear. And on a day like today, we want to stand with you and say, you're not alone. The idea of motherhood is, is, is full of beauty. And it's marred by brokenness in all of our lives. And we want to be a people that can look to God and see how it reflects the beauty of God, but look to Him in the midst of the brokenness as the one who will redeem it all and restore it all and wipe away every tear from every eye. So we love you, women among us. Mothers, those that aren't mothers, we love you. More significantly, the God of the universe loves you. And He knows you. And He weeps with those who weep. And He rejoices with those who rejoice. And we get this morning to, to listen to his word. Our prayer for you today is that you would know the love of the Father and the love of the Christian community, that we'd stand together in the joy and in the pain that's marked by motherhood. So we're going to pray together that God would meet you in those places, and then we're going to look together into God's word. So let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful for your love for us, um, that you would design this world such that we would see in people your beauty, your glory that we'd see in um, mothers, something of your glory, something beautiful. We're thankful for the mothers among us. And, and, and we admit that there's sadness, whether um, there's aspects of motherhood that feel marred, whether there's women in this room that are mothers that feel guilt and shame because of different things or sadness because of severed relationships or, or there are women that are feeling the reality of the brokenness of this physical existence and the pain or their season in life and the situation they're in. We're asking Jesus that you would this morning help them to come to your fountain and drink, to find love, to find hope, to find acceptance, that you sing over them, that you know them in their joys and their sorrows. So comfort them, encourage them, and lead them ever increasingly into the depths of your love. And as we look into your word this morning, um, we want to be people that that know that love, that drink deeply of that love, and that share that into the world. We, we believe that you've called us to a mission. But I confess my own sense of apathy towards it, and I wonder if there are many in this room that feel that. So Holy Spirit, we're asking this morning that you would, in our hearts, engage us in your mission, that we would know your love, that we would find joy in you, hope in you, life in you, forgiveness in you, and that we would be propelled to point one another to that love, point one another to you, that we'd be a people that run to you for life, and that we would long for this city to know you. That there are people in the city that are experiencing brokenness with no hope, with no knowledge of a Savior, with no knowledge of a Redeemer, with no knowledge of a good Father. And you've called us to bring the news of your love to them. And so, Spirit of God, would you awaken us, even as we sang to begin this service, would you awaken us to these realities and lead us into the mission you've called us to so that you would get glory in this city and that more people would find joy in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're shifting gears from our Acts series this morning to focus on who we are as a church, what our mission is as a church. Why do we exist? Not why does Park Church as an institution that you attend exist, but why do we as a church family, sons and daughters of the living God, brothers and sisters in Christ, called to Denver, Colorado, why do we exist? 
It was about nine years ago that um, I first kind of walked through Denver with my wife and some other people. We flew from Chicago to Denver, Colorado, and began walking through the city saying, God, give us eyes to see what's happening in the city. Give us eyes to see where, the, where there are needs in the city. Give us eyes to see the things in the city that ought to break our hearts, the things in the city that you intend to redeem through your gospel. Give us eyes to see. I remember walking through Wash Park and DU's campus and praying for all the things that are happening there in Wash Park, Platte Park, and that area. I remember praying through um, Cherry Creek and walking through Cherry Creek and seeing what's happening and just saying, God, give us eyes to see. And I remember a realtor saying, you should check out the Highlands. You should check out the Highlands. There's stuff happening in the Highlands. People are coming to the Highlands. And I remember going to the Chipotle on Lowell and 32nd, 32nd Lowell, Highland Square, eating lunch, and then walking up and down these streets through these neighborhoods, praying. God, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see. And God continuing to give us eyes to see the need for Jesus in this city. And then God did what he tends to do, which is like wreck our plans and change everything. And we ended up in Fort Collins and went through some suffering that kind of led us to stay in Fort Collins for a while. And God did things to direct us there and to meet us there and to prune us there. And around that same time, around the same time we were praying in the city, there was another group of people praying for this city as well. There were people in this room that are part of that team, people moving up from Texas, praying through what God was doing in the city, praying that God would meet the people of this city with the gospel, praying that God would do spectacular things in the city. And starting this church, Park Church, and over the next nine years, what God has done has been both beautiful and at times painful. God has done so much to prune us as individuals and as a church. There are things that we walk through, each of us, as you consider your own life and what God's done. There are things that God has walked us through to prune us. Things that I can just see God doing to continue to prune my pride and my self-reliance and my self-confidence, my self-sufficiency. Things he's done in our church to prune our pride as a church corporately, to humble us as a people, to teach us to pray, to teach us to be dependent on God, to teach us to long for His glory, to teach us to be a community of grace. God has been pruning us in different ways. And and then here we are, nine years after that moment for me, and, and the seasons that God's called us through. And I read John 15, and I read a Savior who says He prunes those that are bearing fruit in order that they would bear more fruit. And so here we are, a church with leaders, staff, gospel community leaders, and members that have been made alive by the gospel, that have been called to this city. And I begin wondering again as I walk through the neighborhoods, as our elder team is praying about the city and our staff's praying about the city, as I talk to people, what's breaking your heart in the city? I begin to wonder, what might God do if a church like Park Church got on the same page, aimed at the same mission for God's glory in the city? What might God do if we as a people, as a whole people, owned what God intends to do for His glory in a city? We believe, and we have believed since the beginning of Park Church, that God intends to flood the whole earth with His glory. And as we talk about our role in that mission and God's vision for the earth, we've articulated it in different ways throughout our history. One of the things we felt almost a year ago was the way we've articulated it, the way we've talked about it, actually led it to be kind of clunky and complex, such that we're kind of at a point now where we feel some sort of lack of ownership in our church family. So we've been praying, God, help us. Help us to re-kind of like gather together around a mission that we own together, that, that we feel sent as a people into the city for God's glory. And so we began evaluating things. 
evaluating what is our mission. Do people know our mission? So we're going to talk about this morning. What's our mission? Uh, on last Sunday, we talked at our family meeting with the members of Park Church. We said, does anybody currently know our mission? And there's like three people that raised their hands of a few hundred people, right? Um, and, and we said it together. We actually said it at the beginning of every service for the past several years. We said, we exist to celebrate and to be changed together by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his lordship over all of life for the good of our city and the world. Okay, so repeat it with me. <laughs> no, um, don't. Don't do that. It got awkward last, last week when we tried. Um, it's a beautiful mission. We, we still believe it. There's no sense of changing what we're about, that we do exist for that reason. What we felt is that mission was, was neither transferable nor translatable. It wasn't something that was transferring to ownership. And that's not, that's not because of words and verbiage. It's because do we understand what God's called us to? Do you understand? Do we as a people understand what God's intentions are for the city and the role that we have to play in his mission for this city? Do we understand it? And so we just kind of circle back and say, what are we about? How are we going to articulate this? How are we going to move towards it? And where we landed is one of the best summations of God's mission for the world and his mission for his people. And it's in Matthew 28. And he articulates it simply. You can look at the text in front of you if you have it, Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples. This is the risen Christ saying, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And I'm going to wield my authority, not by speaking to the world, be healed world. But I'm going to wield my authority to commission my people to make disciples. To make disciples. Baptizing them, he says, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And he gives this beautiful promise. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so he sends his people. And his people have been about that mission. So as we said, how are we going to articulate our mission in a way that's simple, transferable and something that we can translate into everything we do. How does this affect our gospel communities? How does it affect our park kids training and what we're doing to disciple children and park kids? How does it affect the way we think about overseas missions and partnering with nonprofits? And how do we think about work and vocation? And how do we think about worship on Sundays? How do we think about family? How do we think about roommates? How do we think about life? I want to be simple. And so this is our new mission statement as a church. And I'm going to read it, to, uh, I'm going to read it and then we'll read it together. You can put it on the screen. That we exist to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. This is why we exist. It's actually why you exist, whether or not you're part of Park Church. You actually exist as somebody created by God. And God, in the beginning, called you to be fruitful and multiply, to be able to multiply people that bear his image, that walk in relationship with God and represent God living under his good lordship. And our mission as a church is to make disciples so that more and more people would know Jesus, more and more people would glorify God by the way they live, and more and more people would experience the joy that's found in living under the good reign of Jesus. That's our mission. So I want us to read it together. So if you will, read this with me. We exist to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. This is why we exist. But I want to confess something to you. I wonder if we care. I wonder if we, I wonder if we care. I was so burdened by this this past week. God, God convicting me, not of my awareness of what he's created me for. I, I know these things in my head. But do I care? 
Do I understand what's going on in the city? Do I understand God's plan for this city? And do I understand my role and our role in his plan for the city? And am I being faithful to be obedient to what he's called me to? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to unpack this in a few parts. And one of the ways, and I stole this framework from somebody several years ago, but it's been so helpful for me as I think about what does it look like to actually lead with vision and awareness? And what does it look like to understand where people are at and where we're headed and how we're going to get there? It's a simple framework that we refer to as awareness, vision, strategy, courage. Awareness is where are we at? How do we get here? What's going on in this world that would lead us to feel a burden, a broken heartedness for this city? Vision. Vision. What, what should be in this city? What would it look like for God's glory to fill this city? What would that mean for homes and families and workplaces? What would that mean for children and husbands and wives and singles? What would it mean for, for the institutions in our city, institutions of justice and institutions of education? What would it mean for God's glory to fill this city? What would that look like? Can we imagine it? It's vision, imagining this future where God's glory floods this place. Strategy is what are we going to do to get there? What has God called us to? Not developing our own strategy, but what has he designed us for? Our role in this vision. And then the courage to follow through. The courage to sacrifice, to make investments, to give our lives to what God's called us to. So we're going to walk through in that framework. And the first one is simply awareness. And I want to ask this question, awareness. What breaks your heart in this city? What breaks your heart in the city? In order to grow in any sort of passion to make disciples, you first must feel brokenhearted for something, some sense of deficiency in our city. Last Sunday, I'm sitting right there, 5 p.m. service, and Andrew Clausen's preaching. And he's preaching from Acts. And he's preaching about this word from Jesus to the Apostle Paul. And, and Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, as Paul's going around the city, he's making disciples, but he's experiencing opposition and suffering and rejection and pain imprisonments and beatings, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. Speak. Don't be silent because I'm with you and I have many in the city who are mine. And the Lord was just convicting me by his spirit about a couple of particular families that I'm in relationship with that I'm not speaking to about the gospel. I'm not telling them about Jesus. And I had to sit on that question. I had Morgan Limpick over in the gallery praying for me saying, I feel Apathetic. I'm hearing what he's saying, and I'm like something in my heart doesn't care for them. And I just sit on that. And I'm like, and I'm preaching next week about making disciples, and I'm thinking, like, do we care? Do we care? Is there anything that breaks our heart in this city? Because if there was, and if we believe that God's plan is to let his glory flood this place, and to redeem the broken things, then our role in the mission would actually meet us. And, and God gave me this uh, image that was just really helpful for me, but I will admit to you, I'm the king of unhelpful metaphors. I'm like really bad at it. Like my wife makes fun of me all the time because there's something that was really clear and really simple to understand. And then I'm like, yeah, it's like, and I give a metaphor that just muddies it all up and I try to exhaust them. So I hope this isn't one of those, but um, we're going to try. What it was for me is it was, a, it was an image of a fountain a fountain at the foot of a hill next to this massive mountain. And in this fountain is joy. In this fountain is unconditional, unearned love, acceptance, approval. In this fountain is hope. In the midst of pain, there's hope found in this fountain. Here's, in this fountain is peace. In the midst of chaos, there's 
peace found when you drink from this fountain. In this fountain is forgiveness. There's grace and cleansing experience when you drink from this fountain. In this fountain is purpose and meaning and identity and all the things we long for. And it's right there. And you don't have to pay anything for this fountain. It's all been paid. It's all been paid. Just come and drink for all the things you long for. Drink from the fountain. It's right there and it's free and and it's in God Himself. And next to the fountain is is this mountain. And, And what we do, what we've done as humans and what our city is full of is people that have said no thank you to the free fountain. And we start scaling this mountain that takes all sorts of energy and effort and work and all sorts of anxiety and stress and pain. And at the top of the mountain, people think it's going to give them all the things that were right there. But at the top of the mountain is destruction. Jesus said it's a broad path. A lot of people are on it. And on this path, it's not necessarily about what people are doing. It's about what they're looking for in what they're doing and what they're hoping to gain through these things. And, and what I began to wonder is how often do I find myself scaling that same mountain with all the people in the city, my neighbors and friends, such that I am not brokenhearted for the life they're living because I'm looking for life the same place they're looking for it. And, and even if I taste brokenness, and as a Christian, essentially what it means to be a Christian is to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose, us again, rose again to give us life freely. And all it means, all it means to be a Christian is to say, I'm going to stop trying to earn these things and gain these things and, and make these things happen on my own. I'm going to stop looking to creation and friendship and love and success and finances and, and, and all these things for security. And I'm just going to come to Jesus freely and drink. Even though I know that, I find myself going back to the mountain all the time. All the time. Still working, but trying to get identity and meaning for myself and approval through my work. And by God's grace, periodically, He reminds me of His love. And my shoulders drop. And I come back and I drink. I find myself stressed out about my lack of ability to control the world. And I'm feeling that inability to control. And God reminds me that He's in control. And He loves me. And I rest and I come back and and I drink of his security and his love. I find myself despairing about the brokenness in my life and my family's life and the city's life and our friend's life. And I'm like, will this ever change? And I remember that Jesus gives hope and I come back to the fountain. So I find myself meandering on these kind of hillsides and living life side by side with people that don't have that hope. Christians are prone to wander. We all are. We're all prone to scale the mountain, but we know where love is found. We know where hope is found. We know where forgiveness is found. And the people on the mountainside don't know. They don't know. And so maybe, maybe right now, the mountain isn't that hard for them. Maybe it's a pretty gradual slope. Maybe they're living life and they seem to be enjoying life. And under the, the, the facade, under the surface, as, as you get to know them, you realize that there's brokenness that they feel. But as of yet, they're mostly able to kind of keep that at bay. But what happens is it gets harder and harder. The longer you live life, the more you feel brokenness. The more you engage with people, the more you feel their brokenness. The longer you try to gain life and hope and meaning and satisfaction in the things that we can accumulate, the things we can gain, the things we can do, the harder it gets. And you feel that mountain getting steeper and steeper and steeper to the point where it's a cliff that leads to destruction and people think it's going to give them life. And who's going to tell them? Well, Jesus told us to. He told us to. And that brokenness isn't just kind of abstract. What we're talking about is marriages. 
where husbands and wives have no sense of what grace and forgiveness and, and faithful love is like. So when pain comes, it leads to division and cold shoulders and brokenness and fighting and abuse and emotional trauma and all these difficult things and sometimes culminates in divorce. If it doesn't culminate in divorce, it culminates in some sort of lifelong pain for them because they have no sense of what grace is. It's children in our city, children that are growing up uh, under the leadership of parents that instead of laying their lives down for their children, they're actually consuming from their children or neglecting their children. It's a city, the type of brokenness that leads to, in a place like this, uh, in our neighborhood, two homes. There are two homes in this neighborhood for children that do not have a forever family, that don't know faithful love, that have felt neglect and pain and difficulty. Tennyson Center for Children, Mount St. Vincent. This is brokenness in our city. Do you see it? Do you see your neighbors? And, and it's singles among us that, that are continuing to think that joy in life is going to come from some sort of relationship from a created human being instead of from God. And in the pursuit of that joy in life, find themselves living their life and, and pursuing actions and attitudes and behaviors that lead to more and more destruction and pain. And they don't know that it's right there. Love is right there. Free. You don't have to sell yourself in the pursuit of it. Jesus gave himself for it. It's all over our city in institutions and in neighborhoods. There's isolation and loneliness. There's people that are living their lives, spinning their wheels, thinking their job is going to give them something, thinking that their family, if they can just create it the way they they want it to be, it's going to give them something, and it won't give them anything. And Jesus looks at that, and he has compassion. Before we look at Matthew 28 again, I want to look, read from Matthew chapter 9 and just look at when Jesus sees the city, his awareness of what's going on. Here's what he sees. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He loved them. He had compassion for them, concern for them. He was brokenhearted for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're experiencing pain and they're helpless in that pain because they were not in relationship with a shepherd that would lead them them to streams of living water that would give rest for their souls. They have no shepherd. And so what does Jesus do in that place of compassion? Look at what he does. He says, Then he said to his disciples, his people, us, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Saying the mountain is full of people that are harassed and helpless. They don't know where the fountain is. And so I want to call my people to pray for laborers and to be laborers that would go and tell people, I know where joy is found. I know where love is found. I know where grace and forgiveness and life is found. Come with me to Jesus. He's a fountain of living water. He gives rest and joy, and all the things you long for. Jesus calls us to pray for laborers and to be laborers, and here we are, some thousand-odd laborers sent into the city. Are we paying attention to the fields? Or are we playing games in the fields? Are we chilling on the mountainside, looking for the same type of life that everybody else is looking for, such that we have no sense of brokenheartedness? Now, there are people in here that I see your brokenheartedness. I see your love. There are people that I don't know that I know you have it. And I'm not saying it's yes or no. I'm talking for myself. At least for my part, I find myself wandering on the mountainside. And the effect of that is I have no burden. So when I hear, make disciples of Jesus, 
I don't care that much. And my prayer has been, God, give me, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see that the people in our lives, the neighbors in our lives, the coworkers in our lives, the, the, the friends in the city, and break our hearts for the fact that they don't yet know you. Whether or not they know that this will lead them to pain, whether or not they feel the loss yet, isn't even the primary point. We know that the top of that hill is destruction because it's separation from the living God. And Jesus died to bring people home. So he's called us out. This is the city we live in. Oh God, give us eyes to see this. Give us awareness of the city you've called us to. Give us a brokenheartedness for these things. The question is, can you imagine a city that would be different? This is a vision. Can you imagine a future in the city where that's not the way it looks? Can you imagine a future in the city where God's glory floods the earth like the waters cover the sea? This is what God has promised. This is what Jesus gave his life for. Jesus actually gave his life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again to, to inaugurate what the Bible calls this new creation. This sort of new existence where there's justice and life and love and righteousness and peace and joy and hope. He actually died and rose again for this. And the question is, can you imagine it? And one of the difficulties in imagining is to keep it broad and grandiose, keeps it kind of far out there. Like, that's exciting. But I want you to think about real things, real people, real neighbors. Can you imagine your neighbors reconciling their marriage because they've learned about grace and forgiveness and love? Can you imagine children growing up in a home where mothers and fathers tell them about the love of God for them and demonstrate to them unconditional love with, with both strength and authority and tenderness and compassion that parents that would sing over their children so their children would never doubt that they're loved? Can you imagine a city where children that do not yet have forever families, there were no more of them? Because they had all been adopted into homes that could love them and care for them. Can you imagine a city where people don't feel the pains of racial injustice or or some sort of socioeconomic disparity that leads to such division and such pain? Can you imagine a place where there's a city full of institutions, education institutions, where we're educating our kids to, to know who they are in Christ and to actually grow in who they are and use their gifts for the glory of God and for the good of all people? Can you imagine a city where people that have been abused as children would find forgiveness and love and acceptance and meaning and they would never feel shame or ostracized. Can you imagine a place where people that have felt the guilt and the pain because of decisions in their past were loved and accepted? Can you imagine your neighbors drinking at the fountain with you? Your neighbors, your actual neighbors, I want you to imagine them. Can you imagine them drinking at the fountain with you? Because God can. He can. It's His vision for this world. And he's committed to it. So much so that he died on the cross for the problem, for the root pain, for the separation, to give us the fountain freely. And he rose again, and he appeared to his people. And his strategy, the strategy by which God intends to bring that vision to bear in this city, is to send out his church to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. It is his strategy, and he stated it really clearly in Matthew 28. Look with me again at Matthew 28. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose again on the third day. He appeared to many, many people. And before he ascended to heaven, he met with his followers on a hill in Galilee. And this is what happened. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. The risen King, the King of the universe who died for them, who rose again to give them life and forgiveness and hope. They worshipped Him. Pay attention to that next phrase. But some doubted. I love that that phrase is in there. Because the eleven worshipped Him, but some of the eleven also doubted. Their faith was imperfect. They, they were full of wandering and, and struggling with faith while Jesus was in His ministry. And still, even still, they're worshiping Him. They love Him and they doubt it. We gather together today and we're worshiping Jesus and we're singing songs about this Lamb. Hallelujah. Praising Him for who He is. Worshiping Him for His love and His grace. And yet there's in each of us, uh, we doubt sometimes. We doubt that He is who He says He is. We doubt that He's called us to what He's called us to. We doubt His vision for the city. We doubt that that could actually happen. We doubt that His glory could fill the city like the water covers the sea. And He still uses us like He used the eleven. And so here's what He says to the eleven. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me, He says. All authority. That means he's in charge. It means he's in charge of everything. He's in charge of the city. He's in charge of the people of the city. He's in charge of the neighbors. And by all means, he's in charge of his people that have come to him as the king. He's in charge. He has the authority over our life. He has authority over everything. And he has this vision for the city that would be full of his glory. And that more people would become disciples of Jesus. He has a vision and he has authority to make it happen and he makes it happen by sending his people. Us. The way that God will accomplish that vision is if we pay attention to the commission of our king. And if we receive it with joy. And here's his commission to us. Here's the mission he gave us. Let's make disciples of all nations, all people. We're not just talking about overseas. Overseas matters. We are overseas from where Jesus gave this commission. Right? So what if he called us here? Now he'll call some of you to other places that don't yet know. But for the majority of us, he called us here to a city with a lot of people that don't yet know. So make disciples of all nations. And he gives two little participles that help us understand what this means. So a disciple is somebody who follows in the ways and the teachings of their master. And these two participles, one is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism is a sacrament that Jesus gave his church where we celebrate our union with God. That we're united to God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're united to Him. You don't have to climb a mountain to get reconciled to God. You don't have to scale. You don't have to earn. You don't have to prove anything because of Jesus' life and death and His resurrection. You can come freely and drink without price because Jesus paid the price already. It's grace. It's free. It's unconditional love. And this baptism is the way we celebrate the fact that through Christ we're brought home to God. We, we can come and drink from the fountain of life. It's grace alone. And so he calls us to see more and more people reconciled to God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. More people that will come to know him and the joy that he gives. So we're baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's under what it means to make disciples. The other piece is teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. Everything. 
And what that's saying is learning, that we'd be a people that are learning, if we're to be teaching as a disciple, we're learning to trust his good lordship, that his word is good, that his reign is good, that his commands are good, that his law is good, that what he's called us to is good. Uh, Among other things, the call to make disciples is a good thing, that we'd actually observe what he's commanded us. That that we'd be people that aren't obeying him to gain his love. We already got that freely in Christ. We've already been baptized into the Father, Son, and Spirit by grace. Now that we have been, now that we know love and joy and hope and peace, now we live our lives learning to trust his word. Learning that when we start meandering up the mountainside, oh, we can come home again. We can come home again. And so to make disciples is to see more people added and to help more people learn what it means to trust in the good word of Jesus, to live under his good reign. This is the mission. And in the face of this mission, he says, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you to empower you to, to do this. And so the way we're saying it as a church is that we exist to make disciples of Jesus for the, for the glory of God and the joy of all people. That God's glorified when more people are reconciled to him through Christ. And God's glorified when people learn to trust in his good word. And so we've been working on how do we define a disciple in a way that's helpful. A disciple is simply, based on this Matthew passage, is somebody who's been made alive by the gospel. They've been made alive. They've been brought to life through the good news of Jesus. They've been made alive by the gospel. And they're learning progressively. They're learning to follow Jesus in rhythms of worship, community, and mission. They're learning to follow Jesus as worshipers of the living God, turning from the hillside back to the fountain again and again and again. That's what it means to worship. It means to turn from idols that promise us things that they will not give us because they weren't created to give us that and to come again to the fountain to worship God, to to love God, to serve God as the giver of life. So being a disciple is becoming a worshiper. Growing as a disciple is increasingly following Jesus as a worshiper, turning from idols to the living God. We're going to follow Jesus as people that walk in community. Not seeking community to give us something. Not seeking friendship because we really need things from people and we're approaching friends as consumers and as people that suck life from people because all we're looking for is maybe acceptance and approval. And even the ways that we serve people is sometimes to gain something from them that we look to Jesus and we follow Jesus' approach to community, which is that we be committed to community and we lay our lives down for the community. That we be committed to the community that God's called us to the community of brothers and sisters, and laying our lives down for their good. That's what it means to follow Jesus and be a disciple. And that we'd follow Jesus in our mission. Now you have a mission. You live for something. You're driven at something. What is it? What's driving you? What are you aiming at? What are you living for? What's your agenda? And does Jesus have all authority over it? Because the mission he's given us both from creation and again in this commission, is to demonstrate his character in the world. That we demonstrate his character in the world through the work that we do. That we'd be a people. Disciples are people that would go to work. And we'd go to work excited to do the things that God's put before us to bless the world and thankful that we're compensated and provided for as we do it. That we'd go to a neighborhood. And when we go to a neighborhood, excited to show the love of God to our neighbors through our faithfulness and our nearness to them. That, that we'd go into marriage or you'd go into your workplace or you'd go to your roommates in your household and you'd be excited to show people what God's like through your servant-heartedness, your kindness, your pursuit of justice and mercy and grace and righteousness in the city. That we'd be a people that put God's character on display all across the city. 
That we go into institutions and try to see education get better in Denver. That we go into institutions and try to see justice furthered in Denver. That we try to seek reconciliation between people groups. And we try to care for the poor among us. That we put God's character on display everywhere. And not just demonstrate his character, but proclaim his glory in the gospel. That we tell people about Jesus. Tell them about the fountain. That I would hang out with my neighbors and my friends that I'm in a relationship with and I would so long for them to know joy, be so brokenhearted that they don't, know, don't yet know the Father and so aware of what that looks like because of my own life that I'd be eager to take them with me back to the fountain. That we proclaim the gospel so that more people would be baptized in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. More people would find joy under the good reign of Jesus. This is our mission as a church. It's why we exist. And we want it to permeate everything we do. This is why we're going to talk about why we serve with nonprofits in the city. Why would we send out and fund missionaries and church plants around the world? Why would we want you to be committed to your gospel community, to use your gifts in your gospel community to love and serve people? Why do we need more volunteers for Park Kids to make disciples of little children for the glory of God and the joy and their joy and the joy of their family and the joy of their future families? This is why we gather together on Sunday. It's why we're going to talk and why you greet each other between the service and why we're going to send you out because God's given us a mission. And if we have the courage to believe that he sent us and he promised he'll be with us in the very end to walk out of here, could you imagine? Could you imagine? We have 40-some gospel communities scattered around the city, little communities of light littered around the city to love neighborhoods and people, to be a place where you can be known and loved but also be on mission together. We've been adding 100-plus members a year for the past three years. What if all of us, the members of Park Church, and those that are coming along and interested in becoming a part of this family, what if we together said God's sending us into the city to be a light to the city? What if we gave ourselves for this mission together? Would we see God's glory flood this earth like the water covers the sea? We, we will. And he'll do it. And he's doing it through other churches in the city that we're so thankful for, churches that love the gospel. We're not alone in this. God's building his kingdom. And he's given us a role to play, to make disciples. And our hope for our church is God, God's spirit would break our hearts for the brokenness in the city. And that God's presence would empower us to be a people who make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. May he do that for his glory. In Christ's name. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we need you desperately. Um, I feel how quickly, how quickly my heart runs to different things and how, how prone I am to wander from your love and how prone I am to become apathetic. And so I want to pray in particular, uh, really for um, our whole church, but in particular for those that right now feel apathy. I pray that even the awareness of apathy would be a thing that they could take to you. That we could take to you and we could say, Jesus, I feel this in my heart. And that you don't condemn us, you don't squash us, you don't punish us for that, but you meet us in those places. And so we're praying that you would awaken in us a love for your glory and a love for the people of this city and a love for our neighbors, a love for the people in our gospel community, a love for the children in our midst, a love for the, the folks in our midst that are, that are wandering from you and a love, God, for what you intend to do and that we become passionately committed to this. What might you do, Jesus? What might you do? 
So would you equip us for this? Would you propel us in this? Would you give us unity and joy in this? Where there's cynicism, would you crush it in our hearts? Where there's, where there's distractedness, would you refocus us? Would you call us to this, Jesus, so that more people would know your love, so that we would be a people that know your love together? And so that more and more people in the city, more gospel communities would be multiplied, more disciples would be made, more churches would be planted until this city, this region, this world is flooded with your glory like the water covers the sea. Do it, please, Jesus. We want to say, here we are, send us. But we need your grace. In Christ's name, amen.